Welcome to this episode of the Brookie and Burjo podcast. And Darren Burgess, you're out there somewhere? I am, mate. Hey, Tom. Ray, Ray really sort of dragged out that ending, didn't he? He really <laughs> milked it for everything. That was Ray Charles, in case uh, you hadn't realised that the Ray Charles version of uh, You'll Never Walk Alone recorded way back in 1963, which was even before the, uh, the most popular version of the, the Jerry and the Pacemakers version. So it's a song that's been around a long time and we enjoy hearing it every week from a a different artist, and that was the choice of our of this week's guest, uh, who is Shane Watson, uh, Australian cricketer extraordinaire, and uh, welcome, Watto. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be on your show. Oh, great! Well, it's uh, the pleasure is ours. Now we're t- uh, we're in I'm in Melbourne, and Darren's in Sydney, and you're in Dubai. Tell us what you're doing in Dubai. I'm in, I am in Dubai at the moment. Um, I'm in the middle of the um, current IPL season. It's um, yeah, it's a well, it's a very different well, it's a different world in general. Um, let alone you know been able to play an IPL here in in Dubai, in a biosecurity bubble, which um, is what needs to happen to make sure that cricket's able to continue um, for for the players and and also for the for the fans as well. So um, yeah, it's a, it's a different, it's a different experience, but it's a different world right now that we're, we're yeah. in at the moment. So, um, yeah, things are going, things are going pretty well. I'm just still living the dream of, of my playing days. So, um, yeah, I, I, geez, yeah, I'm, I'm loving every minute of it. That's great. So tell us about the biosecurity bubble. What does that mean? How is life for you? Yeah. So, uh, when I first arrived here in Dubai, we had seven days of quarantine to, to start with just in our, like, um, in our room, uh, just locked down in our room. Uh, thank gosh there was, um, Deliveroo and, and Uber Eats <laughs> to sort of keep us, keep us going. Uh, but then day six, we got a message, a WhatsApp group message, uh, for, I'm with the Chennai Super Kings saying that a couple of the guys who flew over from, um, from India, they had a camp. Um, the Indian-based guys had a camp in Chennai. So the guys who flew over, there was two two of the players tested positive for um, for COVID, and also a few of the like um, support staff, social media sort of people as well. So with that, there's a blanket rule across all Chennai Super Kings that we had had another seven days of lockdown. <laughs> oh, <wow. laughs> Which um, look for me, for me, I've got look, I've I've got plenty of things on the on the go that um, I. Yeah, I've got heaps of time. I've, yeah, I've got plenty of things to do. Some guys, though, not so much. Their main sort of vice is computer games, so they probably time went a little bit slower for them. But um, so after that, it's it's more so now. Like in the hotel, we're staying um, in one of the. It's a re- really nice hotel, but like it's very much sectioned off. We have only got one sort of breakfast area, which is like a bar area. Um, the pool that we get access to, we get it for like two hours a day 
five days of the week. Same thing sort of with the gym. Um, so it's very much, we're very much isolated um, from from the general public, I suppose, in a way, um, even in the hotel. And then it's just uh, the training ground and the, and the game. So, and it's, I fully, like, I fully understand why it has to be this way um, to be able to make sure that there, there was no more setbacks. And so far, we're halfway through the tournament. So far, there hasn't been any setbacks apart from CSK's um, COVID positive tests at the start <laughs> of the, right at the very start. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's working pretty well. It's different challenges, you know, for, to be able to continue on the biosecurity bubble from people going from bubble to bubble, especially you know, more so the international players, it's going to be mentally challenging more than anything just to be able to try and stay um, uh, activated, I suppose, in, in the environment. And and I suppose people don't really unnecessarily don't have the coping mechanisms because you never have to worry about, you know, being isolated like, like um, you know, we are. So for the guys who continue to play, in these biosecurity bubbles, jumping from one to the to the next is going to provide different challenges. And at some stage, you know, the players are going to have to have a bit of a break to sort of just reconnect with their with their families, especially because you know they they come in, they break the bubble. It's yeah, it's just it's pretty complex. So yeah. it's just, but again, it's the world we're living in. Yeah, well, Darren's just been uh, been in a bubble for three months with uh, one of the AFL teams, so I'm sure he can sympathise with uh, with what you're going through. It's, uh, yeah, it's a living, very challenging experience. I dare say the hotel room offered by the Melbourne Demons is not quite the uh, hotel room from the Chennai Super Kings in Dubai, but the, <laughs> but the bubble uh, would still be the same. Mate, I'm yeah. fascinated by the fact that you're, you're 39 and still playing. I reckon it's mm. it's it's awesome. What what would be the uh, I guess the change or the alteration? What are some of the alterations you've had to make in order to keep playing at, at absolutely the top level of of uh, mm. of you know, one day, oh, 2020 cricket. Yeah, well, the first one was um, stopping bowling a couple of years ago. That's made oh, okay. me, uh, given me some more long, uh, longevity. Yeah, that's, nice. that's def- that definitely helped. Like I, I absolutely loved, always loved being an all-rounder and I loved being involved in the game, but it got to a stage where, you know, I just kept continuing on to get calf injuries as I was, because playing 2020 tournaments, there's more sort of breaks in between in between tournaments. So that's normally my has always been my challenge when I've had a had a layoff to try and get my body up and going again. Um, and from a bowling perspective, that was always challenging, even you know, even in my, the thick of my playing in the middle of my playing days. So, so that was one thing that I just finally sort of had to just back my batting and see see how I see how I could go. And fortunately, things have continued to go go well from a batting perspective. So I can hold my position and still um, teams still want me to play, which is which is a great thing. But the the thing that I've probably the biggest I suppose the thing that the biggest driver for me right uh, right now is all around the mental skill side of things. Like that's the thing that um, I find the most interesting because. Yeah, it's it's more so like I've always got told and always heard or, um, from people that like you know as soon as you get to your mid to sort of late thirties, uh, then you, like you're done with your eyes start going or your reflexes, um, you know, slow down or, and I just in my own mind I'm like, well, why is that the case? Like, why why does it have to go that way? Because you know a lot of players that I played with that was the case, um, mm-hmm. and then after really educating myself around the in more detail around the mental skill side of things. Um, that's been probably the biggest driver for me to sort of say, well, what, yeah, why does it have to be that way? Um, and that's the thing that just understanding how to continue to get out of my own way, realizing that cricket is a, 
a skill-based game, especially batting, um, is a skill-based game. So in my, in my mind, the, like my theory is, well, surely there's obviously going to be a point where your your physical capabilities mean that you are a little bit slower. Um, but where where is that? Where is that point? Where is that line? Um, because yeah. in the end, the older you get, the more experience you get, the more developed your skills are. So shouldn't that mean that as you get older to a point, your skills actually should get better? And there's things that I'm doing now um, from a batting perspective that I couldn't do when I was 30. I'm just hitting hitting balls and doing things that I actually didn't do back then. Yeah, a couple of things might be – other things might be slightly different, but I'm still doing things that I did when I was in my late, my, in my late 20s. So I so said that's, that's one of the big challenges for me in my own mind is about why does it have to be that way? Yeah, and have you had to change your training at all to, to keep the reflexes that, you know, that there's not much research about, but but common theory is that, like you said, at sort of mid-30s that uh, that's enough for you? Have you had to change or do you do any particular activities to keep the reflexes in case you in case you need them while you're batting? No, not from a, not from a skills point of view, no. Um, like in the end, the thing that I have – realized and I learned the hard way when I just only have only been playing 2020 cricket is if I have too much of a layoff that's when it's more challenging to sort of get my skills up to a world-class level um, yeah. and that's why like even playing so through the summer if I you know, like last year I wasn't playing the big bash I'm playing club cricket just to be able to keep my skills up even though you know the bowlers aren't as fast as what they are when I go to playing in these other leagues but still it keeps my skills up and, and, and going. So from that perspective, no, I, I haven't done anything differently apart from just really understanding exactly what I need to work on to make sure that when I go into a tournament, my skills are where they need to be to be able to then you know, try and react to, to the best of my ability. But um, from a physical point of view, like the, the biggest, a couple of the biggest things that I wish I did at the st- like early on in my career, which I, which I just didn't and I didn't know I didn't research enough about was one was meditation and just how the you know, mind, body and soul are connected because I had a lot of neural and uh, neural issues. And there's a lot of the time there's very similar patterns in the lead up, especially in the lead up to big tournaments, that similar pattern where I just sort of, you know, the mind, body and soul sort of weren't connected. And the other thing is yoga. That's been a huge thing to be able to continue to um, keep the length in my muscles, whether that's um, from a, a muscular point of view, but also a neural neural perspective as well, to be able to try and keep my body as good as it can, um, even though it's it's always, you know, it's always been a bit of a, ch- well, it's always been a challenge. That's been one of my biggest challenges to stay fit. Um, but again, that's the challenge that I, that I, I love. It's, um, you know, I've, I've learned a lot more about my body because of the challenges I've had compared to a lot of other guys that I played with. Absolutely. If only you had a good doctor to work with during your career. <laughs> That's <laughs> right. Doc helped me out so much with the, yeah. gosh, that dry needling, our dry needling <laughs> sessions. Jeez. I don't, I don't, they made so much difference, but geez, I don't miss that <laughs> daily pain or well, five out of seven uh, days, Doc, wouldn't it? <laughs> that's right. At one stage, we were doing it every day or every night, and uh, yeah. yeah, it was uh, it was a good opportunity to chat. But uh, it was much more enjoyable for me than it was for you. Uh, <laughs> I was the one sticking the needles in. But uh, uh, anyway, no, I mean, look, you know, obviously, you you had a lot of injuries in your in your career, and and you know, you just alluded to the fact that you think a lot of them might have might have been sort of stress, well, stress related. Stress is mm. a, a you know strange word, but tension related or uh, yeah. so. I mean. Uh, what would you do differently? I mean, you've sort of alluded to the fact that uh, you know, if you prepared now, you think it would have made a big difference back in the day. I'm look, I, I re- deep down, I believe that it would have made a massive difference. Like 
I'm not sure if it, if it would have, but I really believe like if I was doing yoga instead of doing all the, the gym work that I was doing, which made, made me big and strong and which had huge benefits even at early in my early twenties, because I'd done a lot of strength, a lot of strength work. It meant that I was, I was able, I was quite developed strength wise, you know, for my, for my age. But you know, there was, there was downsides to that because one thing I wasn't, I definitely wasn't stretching. I wasn't doing yoga. So my muscles continue to sort of get tighter and more tension in my muscles combined with, you know, my ability to be able to, um, understand the mental skills side of things to be able to try and just, um, you know, decompress and, and not build up that component of my mind, which then is related to your body as well. So, um, that would, those couple of things I'm, I'm, I would have loved to have tried at the start of my career and see how things would have been differently because I'm I'm very confident it would have made a massive difference. Because in the end, I remember it was really interesting. I remember talking. Um, we're at one of the uh, high commission uh, functions at in England at Australia House, and Pat Cash was there. I was talking to him about um, he was still playing um, like Masters tennis, and his theory around and it really made sense was as you get older your body, your muscles and everything sort of start to get a bit like tight, like a bit tighter and they start to, um, compared to when you're, a, when you're a kid, you're very elastic. Everything's moving. Like I didn't strain anything. I didn't do anything when you're a kid because your muscles and yeah, your body's growing. But as you get old, obviously it just becomes, your body becomes more rigid. And his thoughts was trying to, his perspective was just trying to keep your body as elastic as it possibly can. So there's less chance of getting injured, um, which for me does make sense. Obviously, the <laughs> you guys know the science behind it, but for me that sort of made sense, and that's where the the yoga component um, really really does make sense to be able to try and keep the length in your muscles while your body is getting older and things start to um, become a bit more rigid. So um, so if, yeah, if I had my time again, that would have been the yoga side of things, and then the meditation just to be able to understand how important um, and how um, how much of an impact that your anxiety or stress or everything that sort of builds up in the lead up to a, a big series or a big tournament, whatever it is, how much an impact that does have on, on your body as well. And I really, but like, there's so many, there's a very similar pattern along like throughout my career. And a lot of that was around the lead up to a big series, pushing the limit to be able to try and get ready. And then in my own mind, the sort of build up to it, which um, then there's always something that sort of went where there's a calf or a hamstring and it wasn't like as you know doc um all too well was that it wasn't like it was a big injury it wasn't like as a grade two or grade three strain it was mainly like a fascial strain or grade one which is only really minor but then again trying to push to get back into um, push it as quick as i can to get back into the tournament or into a series i'd normally sort of re-injure it so that was my sort of general pattern a lot of the time one of the other things that uh, you know, we've had lots of discussions about over the years is, is obviously the, the issues you had with your weight. Um, you know, mm. you were someone uh, <clears throat> having eaten many meals with you, uh, Shane. I know you uh, you love your food and uh, you, yeah. love, you have the biggest appetite of anyone I've ever met, I think. But uh, <laughs> when, you, when you go to dinner with what I, you know, <clears throat> you've got to have about five courses. And uh, so, but, um, you know, all jokes aside, I mean, it, <clears throat> it was something that, that you battled with uh, for a lot of your uh, of your career. I mean, uh, what have you learned about uh, about that and, and what are you doing now that uh, that is better than what you were doing way back then? Yeah, look, I didn't. It's interesting. I didn't battle with my my weight up until I was probably about twenty six. 
so up until then, because I trained, like I trained, like overtrained, <laughs> um, whether that was especially with my skills um, as an all-rounder, but then also in the gym and all my fitness work. So I overtrained, so I didn't have any problems with my with my weight at that stage. But then once I started to understand that I needed to rest my body and I, I, I changed my training habits, I was a lot more very directed as I developed my skills to a point where I just needed to continue to top it up. That's when it became more challenging because, yeah, I've always – Certainly, I've always loved my food, um, and and that's where like just continuing. Thanks, thanks to you, Doc, getting more um, like researching a lot more things about the, that are out there to potentially um, try and help. So that's where you know I really went. I tried the um, the high high protein, um, low so high fat, um, high protein sort of side of things, which definitely may like help helped in a in a big in a big way um there's there's no question i found it easier to be able to maintain weight on that the biggest challenge was uh at home more than anything when i was at home with um with lee uh with my wife and sort of working through different meals for everyone (laughs) that provided more challenges um so that that became yeah too difficult in a way but the the thing that i've found and and the research that i've done as well um not to the extent that you guys have um, had the um, you have done the research, but is in around the fasting and the benefits of fasting. And I've mm-hmm. found um, I've been doing initially. I started doing the five and two, so two days of of fasting intermittently um, throughout the week, uh, with just um, like a lighter uh, meal at dinner for those fasting days. And I found I found that that was really like made a, a big difference i found that was much easier to be able to maintain my my weight and now like at the at the stage in my career where i'm at and i have been for the last sort of four years where i've got one sort of foot in one camp which is sort of life after cricket and one foot in the still <laughs> in the cricket camp the playing camp um it's been that's where it's had to be tested as well because you know i'm um enjoying my life in different ways um when i've got sure. downtime with my with lee and my family my friends so that's where the fasting side of things um, has made a massive difference. So now I've moved into more my my days off where I'm not like I haven't got a game on or something like that. Like like today, for example, I fast until dinner and then I have a have a meal. And I've found that that's actually has been really really beneficial from a, a weight management point of view. But also that yeah, there's the research out there around fasting um, is in is in well for me is. Um, is quite well it's very powerful you know and it um so you know you guys would know it a lot more in detail than me but i've found that that's had um a huge benefit whether that's managing my my sugar levels whether that's managing my cholesterol um as well as then managing my weight i found it to be really having a lot so many different benefits and and the other thing that i love about the fasting side of things i love the mental challenge to it as well because so many people that have tr- tried to do it they go oh no i just get too hungry i can't do it whereas i love the mental challenge of it <laughs> as well which maybe is a little bit wrong, but I love it. <laughs> no, it's fine. Berger, over to you. Yeah, look, I'm a big fan of fasting, so it's awesome that you've learned that. I was going to ask you what sort of feedback or if you had a chance to talk to your younger self uh, mm-hmm. as, a, as a cricketer, um, what you might do. Uh, but it sounds like, uh, you know, we've covered that in terms of the meditation, yoga, um, perhaps uh, alter your training a little bit. Um, uh, yeah, would that be about right? 
Yeah, it's interesting. The the overtraining side of things is is interesting because I overtrained. So my skill development definitely grew faster because I overtrained. But then the the downside of it at that stage was I was going into games fatigued, um, which had you know, I had, yeah, I had right. more chance of being injured. But it meant over the period of probably you know throughout probably from seventeen up until. I was about 25 where I realized I really realized I, I was overtraining. My skill development really grew quicker than what it would have if I didn't overtrain. So there's sort okay. of like a catch 22 with that because, you know, I meant I got more in, I set myself up for getting more injuries, but it meant from a skill perspective that I did develop my skills probably quicker than I would have if I didn't push the limits with my, with my training and yeah, you know, in my, at that time, I was very much a perfectionist, and I still am in certain ways. But I realised how to manage it. But like thinking that I was going to bowl the always finishing off bowling the perfect ball or the perfect Yorker or finishing off that I was going to hit uh, six perfect um, pull shots or perfect cover drives always kept pushing me to overtrain to try and get it right. Uh, whereas now I realise that even if I miss hit one ball, it doesn't mean that I've lost my skill. <laughs> so yeah, that reali- yeah. that that realisation. Um, I said, yeah, now, now helps me in a huge way. But I said back then, um, and that's the thing where the balance between fitness and skills, and this is just pri- totally cricket I'm talking about. That's where like the balance of, I feel has started to move over the last, probably even up to 10 years has, has started to move a little bit. It's weighted a little bit too much in my perspective to the fitness side of things. Because cricket is a very is a very it's a skill based game. Of course, you need to be you need to be fit to be able to manage the workloads, to be able to manage your body for for long periods of time, to be able to you know keep together and and continue to push the limit of how good you can be from a physical point of view. But then, but you you can never um yeah you know, it's not the right balance to be able to not make sure that you're pushing the limit to the skills as a priority because. If your Absolutely. skills are down, doesn't matter how fit, doesn't matter how fit you are, you won't be able to, you won't be able to perform under pressure. And before you know it, you'll be gone. Yeah, look, I agree. And as a fitness coach, I probably shouldn't be saying that, but I agree. It's probably, uh, I think it's just starting to come back in the last year or two in most sports. It's just starting to come back to a skill-based sport. Um, Martin, let me take you back uh, a little while, uh, 2006, 2009 in the, the uh, ICC Champions Trophies where you, in both sort of finals, you dominated. What, what mm. would you say, and that's something that you've, you've always managed to stand up um, when we needed you most, we being Australia, um, what, what would be the key to that? What was your mindset going out to that? You talk about the mental skills that you have now. You, you know, there are times where you could be just go out and absolutely dominate, absolutely dominate the bowling. Uh, I'm just talking about your batting here. But in mm. those particular games when it mattered most, what was the key for you to being able to perform on the bigger stage? Because it, it literally does not get any bigger than that. Yeah, well, that's a, that's something that I I wrestle, I, I always continue to wrestle with. So those were the two times, like the that 2006 one, um, the Champions Trophy final in India. That was. That was more set up because we bowled incredibly well. We weren't chasing a yeah. big total, so I ended up getting 50, 50, I think 50-odd not out um, without having to take too many risks. It was a fast outfield. The wicket was good, so I didn't have to take too many risks at all. So that was, yes, it worked out well, but that wasn't a game where you know, I had to really be at my absolute best, if you know what I mean, to be able to try and yeah. to be able to win a game. Um, whereas the 2009 um, Champions Trophy was was very different, but that was... 
I see from a mental skills side of things, that's where like is looking back over times in my career where I did really well. And that was a perfect example of that was a perfect storm. The situation, the circumstances around me in the lead up to that, um, the, the 2009 ashes where I, I opened the batting in the third, I got an opportunity in the third test. But up until then, because I'd had so many injuries, I, I thought for a period of time, because I had quite a bit of time away from the game uh, because of my injuries, I thought my dreams were gone. That you know, my, my chance of being able to play and, and do really well consistently for Australia and, and help my, my country win was, was just maybe gone. So for that period of time, um, 2008, 2009, that was in my in my mind was a real celebration mode, to, and and that's how I played. I took on the game, I had no fear at all because I couldn't believe I was having this opportunity to be able to open the batting in <laughs> Test cricket, open the batting in one day cricket, and just sort of took on the game with no fear. And that 2009 uh, Champions Trophy, that was another perfect example. I I went out to bat with no fear whatsoever. I was like, you know what, I'm just I'm just enjoying this because I didn't think this is going to happen. Um, and that's why now the more I understand, like my normal default was going to the fear of failure of don't get out and everything like that because I really want to do well. Um, it means so much to me to do well. And then I'd suffocate my own performance. So, you know, 2000, 2009, 2010, 2011 were some of my best years because I, was, I, was, I had no fear. But then as soon as I missed out a few times, then I'd go back to my normal default, which was don't get out. Let's not, this means so much to me. Yeah. I want to continue to play. Don't, don't make a mistake. And that was when I'd always, that cycle would go around to then suffocate my own sort of performance. And that's when I find, like I got educated on, really educated on mental skills from a, um, a mental skills coach guru from the U S where he really made, worked me through understanding and really defining everything around what my best mindset really looked like. And, and when it comes down to it, it was all about having absolutely no fear. It was really just being in the moment, not worrying about the results, just, you know, just taking the game on. And that's now, that's the thing that I continue to, that's what I'm chasing every single time I go out to play because I really understand that that's the best version of myself when I'm reacting. I'm, everything's totally on instinct. I do things that I you know, don't, I can't imagine that it's actually I can do. But um, that's <laughs> the mindset now that I'm always chasing. It's not the circumstances that are allowing me to sort of get to that mindset. Now it's very directed and that's made a huge, that's had a huge impact on uh, my ability to be able to con consistently be my best. Doesn't mean the results are going to be like consistently great. Cause there's a lot of different factors that can influence that. But sure. when it comes to mindset and setting the game up and setting my performance up to give myself the best chance, it's very directed now. That's fascinating. Before Brookie gets uh, gets hold of the microphone, because he very rarely gives it up, as you probably know from the many tour quizzes and things like that, um, <laughs> that, he, that he does. Uh, yeah. Most of the athletes that you know I've been lucky enough to work with and and speak to, they always say that as soon as you get rid of that feeling of fear, it's amazing what you can achieve. And if it was that easy, everyone would do it. Um, it's just you know it sounds like you've done an amazing amount of work to get to that level after recognizing that that might have been you know, one of the reasons why you were so successful in some of those games and, and, and tournaments. Absolutely. And that's, that's a thing. And yeah, that's a thing that for me blows me away and it continues to blow me away that I had to go outside of like this totally Australian system. Hmm. Um, and I got introduced to this mental skills um, guru from the U S from Will Power, uh, our um, Aussie IndyCar driver that I met randomly at, um, at an event that I went to, the Dally M's, which is random that I went to it, but he was there as well. And, um, you know, we're talking about our different experiences. 
uh, the fear that had sort of come into um, his racing and um, and to my sort of batting. And um, yeah, it, I, had, I went outside the system. I flew over to to North Carolina. This is 2015. I flew over to North Carolina because I was like, I need like I'm either going to have to retire because of where I'm at. Or I'm gonna like this guy could give me a couple of little nuggets of gold that I've never like never been exposed to, and it was just this information was for the first time was put so simply for me to understand how my mind works, good and bad, how you get in your own way, and then also how to get out of your own way, and instantly, I I I, I totally got it. But it and that's the thing that as that's the thing that blows me away. This information isn't out there. It's not well. It's out there, but it's not consistently put there for athletes to continue to sort of understand how to get out of their own way. As you said, as soon as that that fear, that no fear is is not. As soon as you've got no fear in your mind, the things you're able to do, it's it's mind blowing because then it comes in all your muscle memory and the skills and just reacting to what comes your way. And that's where your moments of virtuosity and that's where the you know your moments of brilliance. That's where it is. But as soon as you have that fear in any way, that doubt in your mind, that's when you get in your own way and you start to suffocate your own performance. So, and that's why, um, you know, I've, I've set up a company um, called Beyond Performance. Um, be after being educated by this um, by this guy and become a disciple of his framework, because I know, and I talk to so many cricketers now with you know the fortunate position I am to play in different teams um, in the T T20 franchises and everyone wrestles with the exact same thing. And as soon as you put it in a really simple way for people to understand, just go, God, I get it. Okay. Now I'm, I'm going to direct my thoughts instead of allowing my thoughts to sort of just, <laughs> just, um, yeah, it happened because of the environment that's all the circumstances that sort of around you at that time. Yeah, really yeah, very interesting. Mm, very interesting. And, and where do you see this, uh, your future? You know, I mean, uh, obviously, you know, you'll want to keep playing as long as you can and the way you're going. I mean, uh, you're having another good season in, in the IPL. But if and when, uh, you know, you do transition, or as you are now, from from playing to, to your various sort of interests and business and so on, do you see mm. um, being a mental skills coach or, or, or standard cricket coaching, where do you see yourself in, uh, in five or ten years' time? Yeah, the, well, the thing that I... I want to do is help as many people as I can. That's, that's, that's what it is from the, um, how fortunate I've been to be able to learn as much as I have and been around, you know, some incredibly successful people. I just want to be able to help people, um, in a way that, uh, from, I suppose the mistakes that I made and the things that I had to be able to help them out. So one, one is definitely mental skills, uh, whether that's individually or, or collectively, uh, with, with teams or people, and in and around cricket, that's why another a reason why I've set up my T20 Stars business because I'm trying what I want to do and what I'm doing with that is getting all the information that I've been so fortunate to gain throughout my career by being around some of the greatest cricketers ever. Whether that's playing for Australia, I was so fortunate to come through at a time in Australian cricket. I started out when I was 20 with like some of the greatest cricketers like that's ever played. Whether it's Ricky Ponting, Glenn McGrath, Shane Warne, Adam Gilchrist, like you just, it's crazy. <laughs> then, then thinking about the players I play with in the IPL, um, whether it's like MS Dhoni that I play with now, Rahul Dravid, um, and then playing in the Pakistan Super League, the mentor for my team um, at the Quetta Gladiators is Viv Richards. <laughs> so I just, and I'm just a sponge. I'm trying to learn as much as I possibly can. So T20 Stars is about getting all the information that I've learned. And being fortunate enough to gain because of how fortunate I've been to meet these people and get to know them and, and get to know them well and ask them questions and just get it out for everyone to be able to 
not not have to be fortunate enough to be able to meet these people one on one before they really get these insights. So everything that I'll be doing after I finish playing is to be able to help people as much as as I possibly can to help um, yeah their knowledge and um, their ability to be able to perform. We're uh, we often with our guests, uh, Shane. You know, talk about sort of some of the difficult situations that they've uh, they've been in and and how you've handled it and, and what you've learned from those situations. I want to take you back to to what was probably the most difficult situation of of your career and my career. Um, that was the Phil Hughes incident and uh, Phil's ultimate uh, death uh, while playing cricket. And obviously, you know. At the time, it was incredibly, uh, incredibly stressful, um, and because uh, you were there, and and you know you were close friends, um, and then we went through this whole trauma of of, uh, of the funeral, uh, which was mm. one of the most you know emotionally challenging days of, of your life and my life, and and, and everyone who was there, I think. Um, mm. And then the next week, we had to play cricket. You know, we had to play mm. uh, play a test match against uh, against India. Um, and I've related on the on the podcast before how challenging uh, that was. But take us through what you had to to go through and, and your sort of state of mind around that time. Yeah, it's um, it's it's an event that you you absolutely wish never happened. Such a tragic um, such a tragic event to think that that was to think that that was possible. And from that from that moment that um, yeah, that um, Husey tragically got killed. For me, the innocence of the game of cricket just disappeared. Because you know, I, I always, you know, one of my one of the things I loved was all, always taking on fast bowlers. <laughs> uh, that was a thing that I I enjoyed, and I knew that yeah, of course you could get hurt um, if if you were unlucky, if you got into a bad position, um, you know, you could break, you could get a broken arm, you could break your fingers, you know, you could you know get maybe like maybe knocked out or the ball goes through your grill and you know get a fracture or in your face or something like that but never ever ever in you know did you ever think no one thought you could actually get killed killed playing so from that moment on i know i certainly wasn't the only one the innocence of the game um, especially facing fast bowler just evaporated so from from that moment on like in the end yes we after you know having to work you know go through the 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 funeral and just everything the whole situation around is just so ab- incredibly tragic it really and it continue, and it still is but um yeah to be able to have to go and play a test match within within a week or week or so look there was never a good there was never a good time to start playing again <laughs> whether it was a week later um and in the end I'm actually I'm glad even though you know, with the there was a bit of negotiation with CA around when that game was the next game was going to be after after that event, but there was never a good time. So I'm actually glad that they just they they started again because otherwise, if when were we going to start? When were we going to play again? But the sort of re, the the repercussions that sort of yeah, you know, just the shock waves that went through the players, um, the Aussie players because of it, like it was it had a huge impact on. Um, everyone's lives, let alone you know their performance, and that's where you know the mental skill side of things. That's that's you know the main reason um, why uh, things for me started to spiral because I just thought every time I went out to bat that the next ball had the potential to do that to me as well. Um, you know, I had a young family I, at that time. I had my son Will, who was two, and yeah, and that's you put yourself in the position of. Uh, of Hughes's parents and his family, um, and his, and obviously all his mates, and it's just like, gosh, I don't, I don't want that to happen to me as well. So, that's where, um, yeah, things really started to, 
to spiral from a from a performance point of view and then the flow on effect throughout the rest of my life so and i'm like i haven't really talked to the guys um you know in detail really about this but i'm sure everyone most guys are in a very similar position especially people around my age and vintage who maybe had kids and all that sort of thing so you know i just had more of a, a deeper sort of even more of a deeper sort of sense to you know to life and exactly what it means so um yeah that's it was and it took me until halfway through being dropped after the 2015 ashes or the start after the first test match where and that's where i had to try and i was either going to retire or try and try and get some help um from a from a mental point a mental skills point of view um and that's where i was fortunate enough to be at a an off chance of meeting will power and talking to him about his experience of um driving racing cars and then yeah my experience and then things sort of just um yeah went from there but um yeah it's just it's something that i know yeah it just life was life was never the same after that um and i I just can't you still just when your thoughts go back to um to phil hughes family just can't imagine what they have to continue to deal with um daily knowing that you know they're missing such a, a beautiful human being such a great guy so much you know zest for life um and and an incredibly talented cricketer as well I remember, uh, I think it was probably two weeks after that, that uh, we're in the nets at Melbourne and you got hit mm. on the head, quite a nasty blow on the head. I mean, what were yeah. you, uh, what were you yeah, thinking Pato, then? Pato bowling bounces in the nets. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, we're on two. Do, right do, it, to do it to the opposition. <laughs> do it to the opposition. Don't pepper your own teammates. Jeez. That was, um, look, I think that more there, yeah, just like any, that any time that something sort of happened, like getting hit on the head or, you know, just it just immediately sort of brings flashbacks to, to what, you know, what I, what I experienced, um, on the field when, when Husey got, uh, got hit. So yeah, of, of course it always was going to bring back, you know, very, um, raw cause you know, I was incredibly raw at that stage as well. So, um, yeah, it's just, it's just part of what everyone had to sort of go through, um, to be able to try and get back into playing and, and in the way, and you know, everything that we did was was for Husey and his and his family. So you just had to try and get on with it to the best of your ability. But yeah, you know, no, no matter what, um, yeah, that certainly had ma- um, you know, massive impacts on everyone. I suppose maybe differently, but the the thing was, the you know, support the support was there. You, I, you know, I knew the support was there from CA. Uh, we had uh, Michael Lloyd, the psychologist there, and the ACA had you know people on standby if you needed help. But um, to try and deal with it, but you just didn't know, you didn't know how to deal. You, you didn't know what you're going through. You didn't know exactly how to deal with it. Also, you know, the, the fear side of things that came into my batting, if you know, you didn't really want to, um, I didn't want to relay that to either the, the team psychologist and or the coaches, because then that would reflect on potentially them moving you on and finding someone who doesn't have the fear. <laughs> so that was, you know, all, all part of holding it in and just trying to get on with it to the best of your ability. You mentioned uh, the ACA there, the Australian Cricketers Association, of which you're now the, the chair. Um, well, what are you trying to... President, I say sorry, president. President, sorry. <laughs> um, <laughs> president Day. Well, what are you trying to achieve uh, in that organisation? Uh, well, yes, a few, a few things. Um, look, the, there's always constant sort of things going on as, as the cricket landscape continues to change and it has, you know, very quickly with uh, the COVID situation. So it's just continuing to, like I've always, um, 
always been there to be able to call call people out if they're trying to if they're doing things for the wrong reasons. Um, and that's where you know being a part of players um, players associations always been very um, you know, an important part for me to be able to continue to give back to the game that's been so so incredibly good to me. Uh, and that's where I was so fortunate to come into the to the game at a, at a young age where I got educated around how things were before the professional era. So you know, I was I was mates and got to know people who started to play when there was no contracts. They got paid per per match. If they got injured, they didn't get. There was no injury payments. They didn't get paid, and they had to go back to work. So um, part part of the reason, a huge part of the reason why I'm you know still involved and and involved like I am, is been able to continue to I suppose um, have be that link in a, in a way and it continue to educate this the current generation of cricketers to re, to let them know that it wasn't always like the fortunate position that we're in now where you know we get paid incredibly well all the benefits and everything that are that are around it wasn't always like that so that's one of the you know one of the reasons why I, I love still being involved um, but there's there's other things of looking after the the past players is a, is a huge thing for me for sure like um for the people who weren't fortunate enough to be able to come through at a time where there was the the financial rewards or the rewards and benefits like there is nowadays, so that's a that's a big part of you know what I'm what I'm continuing to work towards, and um, and the and the other thing is a, bit, a huge thing is around the the mental uh, the mental health and mental skills, uh, especially well more so the mental health as well. That's a really important a really important part that's you know continuing to people are speaking about it more, which is a great thing. Um, instead of sort of just hold, holding it in and trying to just deal with it internally, so um, those few things are, are, and we're certainly making, you know, making some good strides in, in doing that better and helping out, you know, people as much as they can. But again, the reason why, yeah, the probably the whole thing around the ACA is continuing to give back in a, in a way and stay connected to the game in Australia, even though, you know, I've stopped playing. <clears throat> Well, professionally for in in Australia, I'm still playing club cricket, which I which I love. So, um, but yeah, you know, professionally, I'm it's a way for me to be able to stay connected with that with that group. Hey, Joe, I love the fact that you're still playing club cricket. Right? What's the what's the motivation behind that? Other than you know to stay sharp or whatever, is it is it a genuine love playing with your mates? What, what is that? It's, well, <clears throat> It well, it's two, it's two things. One is to be able to keep my skills up for sure. It keeps it, that's that's the like that's one of the main things is to be able to make sure that I keep the discipline in my life to to make sure my skills where they need to be. Going to training twice a week during the summer, um, Tuesdays and Thursdays, managing my body, looking after my body, and then keeping my skills up on the on the weekend playing playing the games. So that's one component. The other thing that I absolutely love is playing with people. Because I've been so fortunate by people in the in the professional game, it, it sort of things can get sort of muddied. They can because you're sort of caught up in your in your own world in the environment that you sort of you can because of all the pressures and everything that goes with where it's playing for your country and everyone's sort of thoughts and opinions on you. You can start to lose the real um, love of the game at times because you can get yep. suffocated by all this intense scrutiny that you're under. Whereas club cricket these guys are giving up their weekends and they're giving up time during the week where they could be working. They could be moving forward in their career. They could be working on the weekends um, to, again, to further their career, or they could be doing something else. They could be going to the beach. They could be spending time with their family or their friends or whatever it is. And they're giving up the, the, those things because they love playing. 
And that's not just first grade. That's all the way down to like fifth grade. And, and I just, that's a thing that I absolutely love. These guys aren't doing it because they rock up and go, geez, I don't really like playing. They're doing it because they, they jump against their skins to play every weekend. So that real beautiful joy and love of playing the game, which is the reason was the reason why I started playing and the reason why I continue to push the limit of how good I can be because I love the game. So that really ignites the and put takes me back to the time where I was playing club cricket and I, with the dream of being able to maybe one day play for Australia. So that's a thing that I just, oh, yeah, I absolutely love. So those two things is win-wins. <laughs> so uh, I love that. Keep, that's, keep doing uh, it. that's brilliant. That's awesome. You uh, <clears throat> you mentioned before about uh, the, getting back to the, the current situation, the Chennai Super Kings and so on. I mean, one one player has always fascinated me is MS Dhoni. I mean, uh, <laughs> tell us a little bit about uh, MS Dhoni. What's uh, he's he's also thirty nine. He's same age as you. I think you're a couple yeah. of weeks older than uh, than he is, and he's yeah. still going strong as as you are. I mean, what uh, what makes him so special? Oh, gosh, his ability, like the thing that I've realized uh, getting to know him in the last like three years is his ability to to simplify like complex situations and complex things is something that I've never really experienced before. Well, the, the person who used to do it incredibly well was Ricky Ponting. So it would be in a team meeting or whatever it was, and there'd be a lot of different talk. And and Ricky would always just simplify. He'd say probably, I don't know, five sentences, and everyone's go, oh, yeah, that makes sense. All right, let's go. Um, and MS, his ability to be able to simplify situations and complex things is just – and that's the beauty of his, his ability to be able to connect with everyone because he just puts it – he knows how to um, make things very simplified and make people understand – how to do things really in a, you know, in a simple way. So, and that comes down to him understanding and I'm pretty sure it's more, he's very inquisitive. Um, and I'm not sure if he's really fully educated himself in like uh, the like mental skills side of things or ability to be able to manage people, but goodness me, he knows innately how to unload people of pressure. He never, ever, ever, puts pressure on individuals, whether that's in the game or like um, outside of the environment, whether that's selection, he always keeps a faith with people. He never makes emotional and rash decisions around selection, which, you know, that means that people can start to go, well, gosh, if he gets dropped, then gosh, there's a chance I'm going to get dropped. So then people start to fear failure. <laughs> so he just gets it innately that, you know, those things do have a big, can have a big impact on people's performance. So um, those are the, again, those are the things that I think they're just, it's what he's developed as a, as a person and as a, and as a leader. And that's what keeps him so calm under, under pressure situations, whether that's when he's batting, whether that's him as a, as a leader in pressure situations, that's what means he's able to just simplify things. I just need to do this right now. Let, let myself go, have no fear. And, you know, that's the reason why he's been able to perform so consistently from a, from a batting perspective, as a as a leader of, gosh, of a team, you know, with um with India that's got the most scrutiny on them with so many <laughs> with such a big population, um, you know, weighing on his shoulders, that's the reason why he's able to do it for a long period of time with so much success. So um yeah, that's been the beauty again. That's a beauty of you know doing what I continue to do is getting to meet some incredible people and MS MS Tony is certainly one of those. He he just he's a fascinating guy and he lives a fascinating life, very different life to um what most people experience. Um, yeah, you know, our our isolation here 
like we are in this biosecurity bubble, that's MS's life. That's 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 how what he lives. Day, like that's how he lives day to day. Yeah. So because you know he goes it, when he's at home, he's got you know he's got his own sort of um, place in Ranchy where he's got space to be able to sort of enjoy the things he loves. But if he goes outside of his gates, he, he just gets absolutely swamped. Like wherever he goes, so he's I suppose he's built to live in isolation. So these things, he's it's just an, it's just what he's used to doing. Whereas most just about everyone else is like, gosh, I'm not sure. I need to connect with the outside outside world. But he's like, nah, this is great. I'm used to it. Fantastic. Virgil, got a last one from you. No, I've been. Um, I guess the main thing for me um, is the. the- is the commitment from um, uh, that you've made to the game, but also uh, in success that you've had, um, I can see why you've had individual success. But can you can you put a finger on what has made um, some of the successful teams? Obviously, even with Chennai, you, you've been really successful uh, over the last few years. But certainly with the Australian teams, other than obviously the talent is a given, but is there anything else? In the in the teams that you've been part of, the successful teams that you could you could sort of put a finger on as being a common thread. <laughs> yeah, it's a great question. Uh, there's no there's no question that I've been um, so fortunate to play in teams that have got so much talent, that, and that's that definitely helps in a big way. When you've got um, you know even the, the 2007 World Cup that I played, um, that the team the team was that the team was that good. <laughs> <laughs> it it really was so and you can see why that team went through undefeated and did in 2003 because you had so many world-class players knew their games inside out and you had to absorb pressure situation in your pressure situations um and you're playing against teams that maybe had a couple of those players whereas like i'd say probably eight or nine of the players <laughs> they they had it so um but then when it comes to other 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 teams that i've been so fortunate to have success with there's normally, like in in my mind, it's hard to actually really articulate it. But there's normally, it's like there's an extra, there's like a an aura, or there's something around the team where you feel like, um, you just got a sense that things have clicked, and they're actually that that you're going to have success. Like even something as simple as a 2015 2015 World Cup win that we had in Australia. Even from one of the, like the first training session that we had it just seemed like it was a it was a perfect storm with how everything was coming together whether that was from the skills where people were with their games but also the environment that was created um with with darren lehman even though you know the thought there was like it wasn't a perfect environment in a way that there was a little bit of fracturing between you know some of the you know some of the senior <laughs> some of the things that were going on in and around the team but it was actually a perfect it was a perfect sort of storm in a way that on the field everything was everything was brought together you know decision making by michael clark under pressure um on the field in a world cup at home was gosh was incredible that's a re- that's one of the things that he was incredibly good at was how to be able to just redirect people when they needed to when things were going wrong um on the field and his tactical sense was of what was required that time was absolutely phenomenal. So, um, and then, you know, whether it was the players around, everyone was sort of at their, at their peak. So, you know, when it comes to what that, what, what that sort of recipe is to be able to try and recreate it, (laughs) it's, 
it's it is like it's hard to really put your finger on apart from in a perfect world you're creating an environment where people have got total freedom to not fear failure and and there's no question when you've got such incredible talent you know that you can go out and play with freedom knowing that people are going to pick up there's more chance of people picking up the pieces if things don't go exactly right so um and that's where you see csk for example that's where we had um, in 2018 when we won the won the tournament we had experience. We had people who were, you know, pushing at their best for certain re- for different reasons, whether it's them trying to play international cricket again or prove themselves in different ways. Um, and then that combined with having, you know, no fear of, you know, if if I if if it's not my day today, where other guys are more chance of being, you know, being on as well, then that sort of brings, you know, the perfect storm together. So so in the end, <laughs> talent plays a huge part, but then it's also that mindset of that freedom to go. You know what? Well, if 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 it doesn't work for me today, then there's other guys in the team to be able to pick up the pieces, um, so they have no fear when they go out to play. I want to take you back to that 2015 World Cup that you just talked about. There was only one time in that whole World Cup that I actually thought we were going to lose, and that was in that quarterfinal in Adelaide against Pakistan. <laughs> and I think yeah. that was the uh, that was the best innings. I mean, it wasn't you know it wasn't one of your hundreds or anything like that, but that was the best innings I ever saw you play because <laughs> we were gone. I'm not sure if we're gone, but well, we're in big yeah, trouble. That was... We're in big trouble. You know, we're we're <laughs> yeah, chasing thanks. not a huge target, and we yeah. lost uh, lost all of our uh, you know top order batsmen, and uh, and you were probably about the last of the recognised batsmen uh, there, and uh, we still had a fair way to go. What was uh, what was your memories of that night? Yeah, um, well, it, that was just I suppose that was meant to meant to be in a way. Um, you know, I got I played a hook shot after an over or two of getting peppered by Wahab. Riaz um, and got dropped down at fine leg. So that was, you know, it's one of those days where the fact, the the, the other factors that sort of fell my way in a way. <laughs> um, but that was, look, in the end, I suppose I probably, I set it up to to be how it was as well. I didn't realise Wahab Riaz could bowl as fast as he did. I don't think anyone did to that extent. Like bowling. Amazing um, spell he bowled. I'm that never, that fast and that. Uh, yeah, and true. that accurate as well, and that accurate as well to be able to not burn his bounces, um, to be able to bowl it so it was like just below your shoulder height so consistently, meant you're just getting, I was just getting peppered. Um, and, but that was, yeah, that was like something that I look back on. Yeah, I, and I set it up because I sort of said I sledged him when he was batting, uh, which. <laughs> yeah, wasn't that wise knowing like looking back on it now because again I didn't realize he could bowl that fast and sort of set it up. But um, yeah, it's interesting. So that 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 moment, like with that angle that he was bowling as a left armer for for Wahab, I was just getting a little bit sort of closed off. So I had a little, it felt like I had a little bit of a black, like a little bit of black spot. Where so like I was getting sort of caught up, and he was he was super accurate and bowling very fast. Whereas Steve Smith, who was batting at the other end, it was like Wahab was bowling like 130 k's. So every time he get on strike, I'm like perfect. Steve will. Steve will just soak up a couple of balls, so I don't have to go down the other and get peppered again. And uh, he'd just like work a bouncer off his, off his, um, off his helmet and work it down a fine leg, and I'd be on strike again, <laughs> accepting the barrage. But um, <laughs> but yeah, look, there's there's no doubt that that was um, yeah, a, in my career after being dropped at the start of the World Cup as well, right at the start of the tournament for not scoring runs. You know, that was a moment that you know I look back and realise that that was a. Um, a really important moment in in my career um, to also help get help the team get through that sort of yeah that sort of tricky situation because Pakistan like the sub a lot of the subcontinent teams you know they they're definitely they're great front runners 
and if you allow them to sort of get some momentum, they all get, you know, whip themselves up into a frenzy and they can be, then they get on a roll and can be hard to beat. Um, so it was just, I was you know, fortunate that one thing fell away in particular. My game was at a, a place where I absorbed it well enough and, um, and thing, things worked out very nicely in the end. But that, yeah, that moment, gosh, 2015 MCG after we won, gosh, you wish you could sort of, as we're walking around the, the stadium with, you know, still, you know, nearly packed, gosh, you wish you could press pause and just stay there for a while. Hmm. <laughs> yeah, magic moment. Yeah, right. Well, look, we're, we're running out of time. <clears throat> I'll just kind of finish with some cricket nerdy questions, okay? Go for it. I love it. Um, <laughs> right. Best bowler best we've ever faced. Shane Warne, insured cricket, yep. crazy good. Yeah. Why? Why was? Why? Oh, we, why? No one. Why has no one ever gotten anywhere near? You know, we, oh, we keep waiting for yeah. the next Shane Warne, and there's clearly never oh, going to be one. What, yeah, what was no. it about him? Well, leg spin for people who don't like leg spin's the hardest craft to bowl because it's it's so hard to be able to bowl so like it, it consistently to come out of your hand. So you've got control ex, like control over exactly where every ball's going. Um, and Shane Warne is like he hardly bowled a bad ball, which is just about like it's nearly impossible to be a leg spinner and not bowl like a bad ball once in like the great bowlers who are a level below Warney, they might bowl a bad ball once every over or once every two overs. But Warney, like it seemed like he never bowled a bad ball. Um, and he had great variations. He was he was in the moment, like every single every single ball. Like there was not a game where he just went into and and cruised and cruised into a game. He was in the battle every single ball that he bowled, and was able to do that for such a long period of time. And that's the reason why he finished off even when he retired from Australian cricket, still bowling as good as he ever had, and still being as effective as he ever ever had. Because he just he had incredible skill, but then he had the competitiveness to be able to just never <laughs> have his foot off the gas. It's just it's absolutely yeah. phenomenal. Yeah. Okay, and who was the uh, the batter that you hated bowling to? <laughs> um, I'd like internationally, of course. There's so many you know great great batsmen that I bowled against, but probably the one that I just found when he was at his absolute peak, and this was bowling to him really in the nets, was Ricky Ponting. He was just when he was at his peak was that ridiculously good. Like I would bowl the same ball uh, and he could play three or four different shots, depending on what his instincts sort of took him to, whether it was on the, a, a drive on the upper as a back foot driver, as a pull shot. Like it was just, it, was, it is ridiculous how good, how good he was. Yeah. And that's, you know, he, that's why he dominated for so long, but yeah, I found him, I just loved bowling to the nets because like what he was able to do to the exact same ball that wasn't that bad of a ball yeah, it was just freakish. All right. And the last one, best captain you played under? Um, for, for me, was was Ricky Ponting. He just knew – he knew how to, how to tap into things that I didn't know I had. He was incredibly patient when I had my consistent sort of injury setbacks – and he just always, always believed in me and knew how to, um, yeah, pull the best out of me. Whether that was um, by one, like just one line, at the, at the at that moment in time, or whether that was with opportunity. He, you know, he saw that I had the ability to be able to open the batting in Test cricket, 
which you know, I didn't know whether I, whether I had the skills to be able to do it. He believed that I did. And you know, deep down, he knew that I had it and the opportunities. And then also how he managed me as an all-rounder, uh, whether that was in test cricket, when he bowled me, when he didn't bowl me. Um, yeah. And you know, when you're so exposed playing cricket for Australia, gosh, he, yeah, I just feel so ridiculously lucky to have had him looking after me. Well, we've been ridiculously lucky to uh, to have an hour of your time uh, today, Shane, and we really appreciate that. I know you're uh, you've got lots uh, lots on your plate at the moment, but um, we really uh, are very grateful for you to spend this time with us. I think everyone who will have listened to this will have uh, will have learned, and particularly on the on the mental skills uh, side of things, it's uh, it's a fascinating uh, story. You've had an amazing career, and uh, long may it continue. There's no uh, no end in sight, so uh, why not keep going when you're going as well as you had? So. Thanks, mate. It's been great to talk to you, and I loved working with you when you were uh, playing for Australia. And uh, it's been it's been a pleasure to have you as a friend, and uh, and you know have you uh, with us this afternoon. So it's fantastic. Uh, thanks, mate. Thanks, so Really appreciate it, mate. No, it's well, it's my absolute pleasure talking to two gurus in their in their own dom- <laughs> own domain um, is um, something that I feel very fortunate. So thanks so much for having me on your on your show and for. Yeah, digging deeper below the surface, which I love.